Welcome to the Hope on the Hard Road podcast, where you and your family can find community, find encouragement, and find hope for the road ahead. Speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you will all be together in this. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 We were so incredibly blessed by Danny and Becky Bowman and their willingness to share their family story and their journey with Batten disease. This is a tender story and one that we know will resonate with our listeners. Hey, Danny and Becca, it is so great to talk to you both today. We're so happy you came. Thank you. We're really excited to be here. I love what you guys are doing. And so it's just cool to be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. So we would love to know a little bit about you guys. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves? All right. Well, I'll jump in and you can tag team with me, Danny. Um, so we, let's see, we live in Idaho right now. We, Danny is a coach. I, um, and and an executive director for a nonprofit who advocates for kids in foster care. And we've been, Idaho is home for us. We were raised here, but we've kind of been all over. So we've gotten to live in uh, the Chicago area, California, and have experienced such amazing things all over wherever we've lived. It met incredible people. Um, Danny and I got married, you know, fresh out of college and 2005, and we have been married for 16 years now. So um, just an incredible journey that we've been on, <laughs> but we have two little boys, Titus and Eli, I guess really little isn't the right word to use anymore because they're not, uh, our youngest is eight now, but um I don't, I mean, do you want us to dive into our story or just what would you like? Yeah. So can you just share about the time of your lives when your sons were both diagnosed? I know that's kind of a trying time. And then uh, how you uh, work through that process of the diagnosis. Yeah. Titus was our, is our oldest and he was born in 2010. And uh, three years later we had Eli and just you know, we were on the, the wild road with two little ones and all the energy in the house and everything. Um, all of a sudden, Titus started having seizures. He was, I think Eli at that point was like seven months old when Titus was having seizures. He was like three and a half years old. And that just started a journey of um, what I'm sure a lot of your listeners can identify with is just a lot of scary symptoms that you can't identify or understand why they're happening and, and neither could doctors. And so it just, um, rolled into seizures and difficulty walking and going blind and losing skills that Titus once had, like he was potty trained. And then all of a sudden he wasn't, he could say a lot of words and all of a sudden he couldn't. And we looked for answers for over a year and it took a lot of tests and a lot of you know, hope that we'd find an answer and then be able to get past this. And the day that we walked in, knowing we finally had a diagnosis, we had done a genetic epilepsy panel. It was kind of our Hail Mary. It was our doctor, our neurologist's last attempt before sending us to somebody else to go figure out what was going on. And he said, we have results come on in. I'm going to share them with you and, and we'll talk about next steps. So we went in, um, you know, it was, 
like you still have a lot of hope, like a lot of really scary things have happened at that point. Titus at that point was already on a feeding tube and we didn't know why he was losing his ability to eat, but he was. And so we were like, let's just get the feeding tube in and then we'll, we'll get it out and we'll, you know, it's reversible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we still had that mentality. So sitting down, listening to the doctor tell us that he had batten disease, which there's several different kinds of batten disease and his type is CLN2 and that it was genetic. So this is something that's been in his body since he was born and just didn't come out until between three or four and four years old is how this disease works. You know, and so the obvious next question is, and what do we do about it? And the answer at that time was, there is literally nothing that we can do. There's no treatment, no cure, um, and this is fatal. And it, we could tell it was hard for this, the, our doctor, our neurologist to get these words out. You know, he was just doing a lot of, uh, it was hard for him to make eye contact. And he, a whole bunch of other people came into the appointment with him. We had a social worker in there and I forget who else was in there, but I, we'd not had an appointment like that where a whole bunch of people file into the room for the diagnosis. And so, you know, you just, it's a lot to absorb in one moment. And I think, you know, it all made sense when we were listening to the diagnosis. Titus was just textbook. It just made complete sense, but it's devastating. I mean, it's, you're, you're trying to absorb all this information and then also that you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just what it is. But that was my perspective. I don't know how Danny wants to explain his. But. Yeah, Danny, how did you process that as well? Well, <laughs> it wasn't very pretty. Um, I mean, we all did. I think when we were at the doctor's office, we just kind of looked at each other like, really? The, is this really happening here? And then it was like a whole change of life. Now, what do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we live? What do we do with um, moving forward with, you know, our jobs, our family? Do we go somewhere? Do we stay here? I mean, there's so many questions that popped up. So I think the biggest thing that we did was we turned towards each other and we relied on each other. And I mean, obviously we, we cried and, and got the emotions out, but then we started, okay, what can we do to make his life be the best it can be? Um, what do we do with Eli? You know, how does that work? Because uh, when we got Titus's diagnosis, we never did get Eli's yet. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of what, what I did. And then there's a lot of steps past that, but that was the initial thought that we went through. Yeah. And it, it did radically change. Like Danny had to stay locked in and, and go back to work like right after that. Mm. I can't, and I couldn't have imagined having to go back to work after hearing that kind of news, but he had to go right back to work. Mm-hmm. I went home and just cried and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just called family and, and tried to process. Um, and it did radically change, like specifically my, how, how my work life was structured. I quit. I had to quit my job um, to stay home and take care of the, I mean, Titus's care was just intense at that point. And, you know, we had to really depend on Danny to, I mean, it's Southern California. It's not cheap to live there. (laughs) And we needed him to, you know, help 
carry the family financially. So I think a lot of times people look at um, moms of special needs families and they think, wow, what a rock star. What, um, they just step up and do all these things. And it's true. I carried the care of the boys on my shoulders. It was feeds and medications and appointments. And um, I had like a whole notebook, you know, for Titus specifically that I just, every day I had notes of who I called and the insurance claims and all the things, but there's no way I could have carried that and done that without Danny supporting our family. Mm-hmm. So I often like to tell people it wasn't that we had, there was the, the dads are not absent. They're often working very hard to make sure their family has what they need. You know, that kind of brings up another point. I know we, and just talking to a lot of people on this is how do you balance this? I mean, you're coaching and I, you know, being a coach, I understand the intensity, especially in season. And I imagine you guys have recruiting and everything else with that. So how do you balance say that the, the, the coaching life that you're doing, but then all the needs that you have at home and then taking care of yourself, you know, ha- having time to, you know, put into your marriage, having time to put into your family and, uh, you know, those special times, how have you, how have you guys put that together and, you know, maybe direct that at you, Danny, as a, as a coach and, you know, speaking to how that's worked in your family. Yeah. I think it depends on the stage of life that we were in when we had Titus and Eli and living in Southern Cal, we didn't have much family down there. Um, but we had a great church and a great community there and I had great coaches. You know, I had great assistant coaches. We had, you know, about eight coaches that worked for me and they took on a lot, you know, from our recruiting coordinator who did a great job to, you know, all, all of the uh, event coaches, you know, so it takes a tribe to be successful and they were very uh, supportive in the administration. So it wasn't like I didn't show up to work. It was, Hey, I need to go because this is happening at home or, um, I come in a little bit later because I have to help in the morning or, you know, it just depends on the situation. Um, and yeah, we invested in each other. Becca and I, you know, we went on date nights. We started doing that. We had a nurse that was at the house that we made sure that we can get out and spend time together. And uh, we had some great friends still to this day. Um, older couple bought us a little getaway, you know, on the beach down in um, San Diego area. So it was just fun that we actually can go and do that type of stuff. So we were very much supportive and loved. And now mm-hmm. being up here in Idaho, we are surrounded by both sets of family on both sides. And we were, we're still able to do date nights and again, go on dates and, and love each other and invest in each other. And, and it's great. It's just balancing time management. I mean, time management is something that I have some strength in. So it makes it a little easier to prioritize of what we're doing and when we're doing it and Becca's been great you know saying okay let's do this you know because she's more uh, sporadic like sure why not type of person but you know we got to have things planned a little bit so but uh, I think that's it's been really awesome uh, doing life together it's been hard but it's been awesome at the same time. I love that you guys have invested in your marriage and doing those dates and getting those getaways I think that's something that's so important for our families, for our marriages. Um, so that's that's great. You know, your story is a tender one and one that we really want to honor. Um, so we wanted to ask you, will you share with us 
your family's story and what has taken place for you in the years since diagnosis? Yeah, so to pick up where we left off a little bit ago, so we got Titus's diagnosis and when we found out it was genetic and we're both carriers of this, you know, this disease we've never heard of and immediately you go to, holy moly, I gave this to my child. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And our geneticist was very clear that everybody's got mutated genes in their system and who knew you know, this has never popped up on either side of our family. So who knew that we had the same one, but we do. Um, so we, we knew that Eli at that time was almost two. Titus was almost five when we got diagno- his diagnosis and Eli was almost two. And that, you know, it's pre anything, this, the, the disease hasn't come out yet. So to him, to us, we, he looks perfect. He's developed wonderfully. He's doing all the things that he's supposed to be doing. And, you know, so it was kind of a precautionary thing. Let's just go ahead and get him tested. Then we don't have to think about it. We'll just know if he has it or not. But really we thought, what are the odds, right? Why, how could he, he was perfect. But I mean, Titus was too at that age. So we got his diagnosis actually three months later um, or two months, I don't remember now, but it was, it came back that he does have fatten disease also. And so, you know, that just, that kind of ripped open a tender wound that was just starting, not even healing yet, but it just ripped it back open. It was probably even more painful than hearing it the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that launched into a year and a half of just such a learning curve. I can't, I know a lot of your listeners are going to understand this, the amount of medical knowledge and the amount of medical equipment and the therapy techniques that you learn, I mean, it was out the wazoo. Like we just, our lives were all consuming with this care around batten disease with Titus and just trying to do anything we could to get Eli as ahead as we could to give him a fighting chance to make it longer. You know, we were told these kids with this diagnosis passed between six and 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was going through Titus's body so fast. You know, he was just five. So, um, you know, he did, he did, um, lose all of his abilities really just, uh, probably a month or two after we got his diagnosis. And so we were on the daily caring for a son who was completely dependent on us for everything. Couldn't see, couldn't talk, couldn't move. Um, and it, it changed our outlook on everything with life, just how we, live in the moment and how we shape success and celebrations and all of those things had to change because even birthdays and Christmas, all of that was so hard because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know, it wasn't what we expected it to be. So to fast forward that a year and a half later, we found ourselves coming into the fall of 2016 into September and it was just very clear Titus's body was done fighting this disease. And we knew that he was going to go be with Jesus at any point. So we wound up just halting basically all outside life. We let people come in and be with us at our house and surround Titus. And we just um, were, were there with him the whole time, um, 24-7. And that same that last week that we had with him, we actually got a text or an email on my phone from a batten doctor in Ohio that Eli was getting granted 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. No, thank mm-hmm. you for both sharing this. Yeah. Um, oh, it just hits sometimes and you're like, oh, I thought I've been, I've gotten through that. But anyway, Eli got granted one of the slots for uh, this clinical trial that was opening back up. And um, it was a moment of joy and hope and just so much grief at the same time. Yeah. Um, You know, so we're sitting there holding Titus and knowing that any day we could go and knowing that our son, our youngest son, Eli, was getting handed this hope and that the the trial had already been open for um, a a little over a year and it was just doing amazing things. It was the kids on the trial getting this enzyme replacement therapy were doing incredible things. It was just helping slow the disease progression down. And so, and there was five slots opening and Eli got spot number four. And so anyway, so we had to navigate all of this. And I remember Danny having to buy um, plane tickets to Columbus to get us there and just buying three instead of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so he, he passed on September 17th and, you know, we are just so grateful for the hope we have in Jesus, because I think about this all the time where I just have no control over what happened to our family and no control over death. I couldn't stop that from coming, but you know, Jesus has claimed victory over that and I can find hope in his victory and his redemption where I have literally no power or control or ability to do anything about that. And so that has been what's held us together as we walk a path, having lost one son and fighting, you know, for as much time as we can have with our other one. Um, and to just <laughs> pull everybody out of my emotional wreckage here, um, Eli is just doing incredible. He's been on this enzyme replacement therapy now for over five years. And he is, uh, like I said, he's eight, eight and a half, and he's still walking all by himself. He's going to school. He is learning incredible things that we didn't know he could learn at this point. And we're watching, they seem little probably looking in, but we just like last night, he was just sitting at the table eating dinner and I handed him a string cheese and he just grabs it and starts snacking down on his, on his, uh, his cheese all by himself, like just, you know, independently eating it and holding it and all these things that are just really incredible that an eight and a half year old with CLN2 baton disease is doing this. So um, he's blazing trails and it's been an honor to be part of that side of the story too. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share the amazing story of how you connected between Orange County where you were in California and then Idaho, that study? That was, that's an amazing story. 
Oh yeah. So when when excuse me, when Eli got accepted into the trial, the only site was Columbus, Ohio. And so of course we're like, we will do whatever it takes. And to take you to the first part of this cool story, we a man named uh, Steve Rocky, he got wind of what we needed to do. And that was to get Eli to Columbus, Ohio for this treatment every other week. And that's a, that's a lot <laughs> every other week going from California to Ohio. And he rode a bike 1300 miles for us. And he called it ride for Eli and raised mm-hmm. so much money. He raised enough that we literally flew to and from Columbus the whole time we needed to, and never once had to look for a penny. It was all there. It was just amazing. And so we did that for six months. We flew every other week. We were at home for 10 days and in Columbus for four. And we did that for six months. And all the while, our team at Chalk in Orange County was working on opening the second treatment site in the U.S. under clinical trial, which is a lot of red tape. There's so much to do. Um, But they did it. They opened it. And they um, became the Western hub for CLN2 treatment. Um, And we got to move back home. So then when Danny got offered this position in Idaho, we knew, okay, that's fantastic. Idaho's home. It's close to family. We want to go there, but there's no way I could bring myself to, to travel for that treatment again. I mean, we do what we need to do, but I was just not convinced we needed to leave California at that time. And we, (laughs) we wound up having to make the decision to move before we even knew if a treatment site could get set up in Idaho. But, you know, God is always working. And this is why I always say how important it is to look back and see what has been done in the past, because we can see God at work then when it's not so easy to see it in the moment. Mm -hmm. But that was one of those moments where um, we put our feelers out to some special needs families and asked if anybody knew this one doctor who we'd heard about through the grapevine, this neurologist. And the one of the moms pops up and she goes, not only have we heard of him, but he's our neighbor. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) We need him to call us. (laughs) So I sent her, you know, an article on Eli and just kind of a little summary of who we are and that we need to open a treatment site. And we've heard he's a great doctor and and might be on our team. And so she passed the information on. He reached out to the pharmaceutical rep with our, uh, the, the company that makes this medication for Eli. And within a day, he had everything organized. They trained him. They were ready for us before we even officially moved to Idaho, which I was just blown away. It usually takes, from what I hear from others, several months to set up a site. And they had gotten everything completely done in two weeks um, for us to be here. And so he's the only one treated here, but I love knowing that there's a site here. So if, when another diagnosis comes along, we're ready for him. Absolutely. That, that's such an amazing story of, again, just God's walking you guys through this journey. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm just so blessed that you guys shared that. Um, and I, and I love too, that you are reminding us of how looking back at how God met us yeah, will help us in the midst of the hard times, because it can be so dark and we don't know what the future holds, but looking back at the times that God was there for us and met us in it just helps us to remember the goodness of the Lord mm-hmm. and helps us to go forward 
in whatever it is that we're dealing with. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you guys for sharing mm -hmm. um, your story of Titus. And we're just really blessed to hear that from you. And Join us in two weeks for part two of our conversation with Danny and Becky Bowman. Resources and contact information for today's podcast will be included in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share us with others and be sure to follow us so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment or rating and connect with us on social media or on our website at hopeonthehardroad.org. <music>